Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Welcome back to the fourth trimester podcast. This is Sarah Trott, and I'm here to talk to you about an interesting topic about home birth versus hospital birth. And we have the best guest to discuss this, who is Jessica Moore, who is a documentary filmmaker. And I'll introduce her in just a moment. Just a quick reminder, we have a newsletter you can sign up for at fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. Please do that if you haven't done so so far. And also check out our website and our Patreon sponsorship page. We're welcoming all of our listeners to contribute as little as a dollar an episode to our podcast to help us improve our technology, which we desperately need, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Esther knows. She's laughing. Um, So, yeah. So, Jessica Moore, we're so honored to have her. So, Jessica is a family nurse practitioner set on a journey by her own home birth experiences. She created the feature-length documentary, Why Not Home?, about nurses and doctors who attend birth in the hospital and have their own children at home. Yay! Yeah, amazing. (laughs) The film is being released on iTunes and Amazon on Labor Day. Um, That's Labor Day of 2017. So she is a transplant from the Midwest, And she and her husband have made their home in Sonoma County, California, where she tries to keep up with her two children, six chickens, and two sheep. (laughs) (laughs) So over to you, Jessica and Esther. I I would love to hear a little bit of an intro in your own words, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So um, as you mentioned, I, I was trained as a family nurse practitioner, and I practice at a community health center. And uh, it wasn't until I was pregnant myself and started looking at my options that I really even considered home birth. Um, I had become familiar with midwifery care in the hospital through my training. Um, and, uh, And then after I moved to Petaluma, I had a colleague and friend who was a labor and delivery nurse and had had both of her children at home. And then when I was pregnant and started looking at what my options were, um, started, you know, talking to others to see what their experiences were. Um, I thought that, you know, there were really some, some benefits to home birth that, that I wanted to explore further. So, um, I also looked at a local birth center and thought that, you know, that, looked like a great option as well. But when it came down to it, I thought, well, it's kind of like somebody else's home. And I think I would just be more comfortable in my own home uh, with people that I know and trust and, um, you know, looked at the evidence and saw that for low-risk women, the outcomes were um, just as good in many cases. And for some variables, the outcomes were were better at home. And it was just about kind of choosing the set of risks that 
I was most comfortable um, accepting. And uh, so chose to have both of my children at home, had amazing experiences with both of them. Um, actually, after my first birth, I thought, you know, that that was so much better than I thought it could be. Um, I think that was a one-off, you know, like that can't be how birth really is because it was so different than what um, our our culture and what the narrative around birth is typically. Um, and it wasn't until I had my second daughter and had an equally amazing experience that I thought, you know, I really want to dig into this a little bit more um, and and tell this story in a different way. Um, I had also had a another colleague and friend, a family doctor who I worked with who had had her daughter at home and I was able to be with her for that birth. And um you know, we had had both encountered, you know, when we were pregnant, come into the situation where, you know, we felt confident in our decision, but at the same time, we didn't really want to share it with all of our colleagues because of the stigma and the judgment that really still in, in many communities and especially in medicine um, can surround home birth. So um, that's kind of what, what sparked this journey for me. That's great. I'm. I'm. Think the title is brilliant, <laughs> and I and I especially love that there's, you know, that the primary subjects are people who work within the American medical system, mm-hmm. or at least the California one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we we definitely talked to you know women, um, a doctor in Colorado and mm-hmm. uh, labor and delivery nurse in Florida, and um, yeah, you know, go to Boston University and talk to some experts there, Eugene DeClerc and Candace Bellinoff and um, Seattle to the Home Birth Summit. So um, yeah, it definitely started as sort of like my community and people that I knew, kind of in Northern California, and then it kind of grew to really um, look at what's what's going on across the country. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about the, the movie, the documentary, is just the whole feel of it. <laughs> it's just so gentle and positive and um, there's nothing sensational about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Other than the fact that I just get so jazzed by the whole topic and always <laughs> have. For 40 years now, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, um, I think it, it doesn't take the tack of trying to scare anybody into a home birth, which yeah, at that least was that's really not important feeling. to me. Yeah. 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 And it, it wasn't, I wasn't in the, in the business of shaming anybody or, you know, if you, if you don't have a home birth, you know, like there's something wrong with that. Like everyone should have a home birth or like hospitals are terrible, you know, doctors are bad. Like I was not interested in that conversation at all because I think a lot of that happens and there's a lot of polarization, um, on the topic. And uh, what I felt like was really missing was some, um, you know, a voice of moderation and just kind of looking at the, the evidence in, in a non-judgmental way and, and a really honest way to say, you know, these are, these are real choices that we can make. And, um, you know, this is the evidence for 
for home birth. And, and this is what, you know, physicians and nurses and midwives who are practicing in hospitals see. And this is why they chose to give birth at home. It's not a fringe decision. It's not a crazy decision. It's not something that they made. It's not a decision they made out of fear either, because I think that happens sometimes too. You know, women are hear horror stories about hospitals and they think, oh no, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, I don't, I think hospitals are are great in many cases. And when I need a hospital, I want the hospital to be there. Um, but when, you know, if I don't need the hospital, you know, I'm a low risk mom and I feel like um, home birth, again, fits my needs and values and I'm going to, you know, I have appropriate care with a trained professional, um, then, you know, there's, there's nothing there's nothing to fear about that decision either. And and that was the other thing that always surprised me, you know, um, after having my kids at home when I would just sort of meet people with, with my new baby or whatever and say, oh, you know, where did you have your baby? And I'd say like, you know, at home. And, oh, you're so brave or wow, like I could never do that. Or, you know, everybody yeah. has a story. Oh my goodness. Well, I almost died. It, you know, I would have died if I hadn't been in the hospital. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Maybe that's true and maybe that's not. And, you know, if uh, oftentimes, and what I heard over and over again from the doctors and nurses who um, I interviewed for the film is that, you know, oftentimes if you weren't in the hospital, things may have gone really differently from the start. So it's really not a fair comparison to say, you know, if I, if I hadn't been in many cases, you know, if I had, hadn't been in the hospital, I, I would have died. Um, but that was, that was definitely kind of the story that was told to me growing up too. I was, um, born by C-section. I was breech and, um, my brother after me was also born C-section because my mom had already had one C-section and, um, you know, my dad always definitely felt like, you know, if, if you had been, you know, born years ago before they had C-section, you, know, you and your mom both would have died. And, and maybe that's true, and maybe it's not. You know, breech, not. breech vaginal <laughs> delivery. You know, breech vaginal deliveries do happen. There I was are, born that way. Yeah, right. So, so you know, it, it, no one knows <laughs> what would have happened, but um, the risks are often um, much overplayed. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I just want to say that, not to put too fine a point on the part about. Um, shaming and fearing that when I had my daughter at home 39 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, I just thought, gosh, when my daughter's ready to have babies, home birth is going to be the norm. Right. And, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the, you know, we'll have, we'll have put in place a system where women who are moderate to high risk will be seen by obstetricians and deliver in hospital settings because that's what's safest for them. Mm -hmm. And women who otherwise aren't moderate uh, to high risk won't think twice. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. fact, my fantasy was that it wouldn't really actually be an option. <laughs> You'd have your baby at home, <laughs> like everywhere else in the world, practically. So, um, you know, here we are 40 years yeah. later, and I'm just yeah. wrapped in my head. And while I appreciate some of the films that have been made, um, I have to say, until your film, I, I wasn't 
so comfortable with the way that we talk about this option, Mm. which is to have babies at home. So thank you Mm -hmm. very much for making the movie. And, um, you know, our podcast is about postpartum, the fourth trimester. And um, I think we've talked about the midwifery model of care on this uh, podcast before, uh, more than once. And we've (laughs) talked about it primarily in terms of I I would say leading up to birth Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it in terms of if you had a nurse midwife in a hospital setting, the kind of uh, postpartum care they would offer you. Mm -hmm. But we haven't really uh, done a deep dive into what home birth postpartum care looks like. Mm -hmm. And since you got to experience it and I got to experience it, uh, we're in the perfect position to be able to describe it to our listeners. And I think they'd find it very interesting. Sure. So go right ahead. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think that is something that often um, scares people. um, I think especially partners sometimes about, you know, having a home birth is like, oh my goodness, that's going to be like such a huge mess and I'll have to clean up and then there won't be anybody to help. And what if like, you know, I've never had a baby before. Like, I don't know how to take care of a baby and you're just going to like leave me. There's not going to be a nurse there all the time or... um, and, you know, the the great thing about – one of the great things about, you know, midwifery care, especially in a continuity kind of home birth model is that, you know, you're planning to, you know, to give birth at home with, you know, people who you want to be there. You know, maybe you're going to invite a, a friend there to also support you or a family member or something. Um, but the the midwives are really focused around – helping you to build that support system and to really think about what postpartum is going to look like. And, um, you know, and they don't, and they don't leave you right away either. (laughs) Um, you know, they, they clean everything up, they check you, they check the baby, they stay as long as they need to, and, you know, help you get started with breastfeeding. And then, you know, depending on how long you've been in labor and how long, you know, they've been there or what time it is, you know, they leave, leave you to sleep a bit, then they're going to come back and check on you in 24 hours typically. Um, and then again, in a couple days, then again, a week late, you know, so you get to, you get to really, um, just have that experience, um, of those first few days bonding at home and never having to, you know, futz with the, the car seat and the newborn baby and the, you know, taking them anywhere. And, um, which is, which, which is, I, you know, I've said many times, <laughs> Jessica, you know, on this side of pregnancy, if you're still pregnant, none of that seems like a big deal. Right. But when right. you've pushed a baby out your perineum, like it yeah. is actually kind of a big deal. And right, so right. that's, I mean, that's just one of the benefits that I think is huge. But I want to sort of reel it back a tiny bit and talk about, um, you know, that those first hours mm-hmm. postpartum and the mm-hmm. fact that most people don't understand that after labor and birth, most babies are going to crawl around and find a breast, mm-hmm. hook up to it, um, have a nice long nurse gaze lovingly at their parents, 
squawk here and there. But at some point in that first, usually 12 to 24 hours, your baby is going to have one really long restorative sleep. Yeah. yeah, So it can be six hours of sleep. And there's nowhere else in the on the planet that you can also get that restorative (laughs) sleep that you need so badly if you're the parents and have been uh, making your way through labor, particularly if it's a longish labor Mm -hmm. or if you started at night after a full day's Mm -hmm. uh, busyness and didn't get that next night's sleep or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's Mm going to be your four to six hour window to actually get your mental health back. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody's going to bother you to take your blood pressure, check your temperature, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, and absolutely. that will be safe. Mm-hmm. And that will, you know, because if it if if you had shown symptoms of having right. a problem right. or if you show symptoms of having a problem, you will know who to call. They will respond immediately, etc. So, I think between the car seat and the sleep <laughs> alone. <laughs> yeah. The you home know, and birth for, model for of care. Too. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I have a great, a great picture immediately postpartum with my daughter. I mean, you know, she had, she was nursing and I was just, I, I was so like pumped up on kind of adrenaline, you know, after the sure. birth, like I wasn't ready to go to sleep yet, but my husband is like sitting there kind of propped up in bed in our bed, you know, next mm-hmm. to me, like totally asleep. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was just fine. You know, it was yes. like, it was, it was our place and he was comfortable and everybody was good. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to replicate the, the comfort, um, and the, you know, the sense of, of control and, um, and safety really that, you know, that you kind of feel in your, in your own home, kind of on your own terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, why don't we talk just a little bit more, if you don't mind about, um, the kind of care you're experiencing from your midwife on those, um, that initial postpartum um, and then the subsequent postpartum visits that happen within the first six weeks. Reminding our listeners that when you leave the hospital on day two, um, you won't see an obstetrician again for six weeks unless there's some serious problem, so-called. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, like I said, the midwife will usually come back in, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And um, it's a kind of a combination of great, you know, lactation support and um, and then, you know, making sure that you know, your physical recovery is going okay. And also that you are kind of making the transition that you need to make, you know, from woman to mother. And, you know, in terms of your, you know, your, your mood, um, you know, do you have the support system set up that you need? Um, 
Are you are you sleeping? How can we get your your home set up in a way because they're coming to your home typically? Um, you know, how can we make this this environment more conducive to you know sleep because that's <laughs> sleep for you, the baby, you know, your nutrition, like the, really, it's a very holistic. Um, very holistic model. We and, call that healing and recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's just hard to replicate. In a, I mean, I think a lot of midwives and doctors want to do that for their patients postpartum, um, but the system just isn't set up to support that. Um, you know, that the link, the amount of time that it takes to give that care is um is just more than than most office practices are allowed unfortunately i think that's a great description and i think um it's sometimes a little difficult for people to um appreciate that not having to leave your home for these services and supports is um, is in itself therapeutic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, if, if you're having difficulty with breastfeeding, if your perineum was wounded in the process of birth, uh, which it often is, and that's normal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but requires rest uh, in order to heal and recover. Um, having somebody come to you and n- assess rather than disrupt the flow of what's happening right. in your life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a huge boon. Mm-hmm. It's just no small thing at all. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and the other thing that happens, I think, at those visits that I think is so important and and healing too is just, you know, usually there's a chance to kind of talk about the birth and process the birth together, you know, with your midwife that was there, whether it was, you know, a difficult birth or a fast birth or a long birth or easy, you know, kind of to to really um, tell that story and to to frame that and process that with somebody who was there and um and that in and of itself is can be very healing and and important and i i really recommend that um you know wherever you give birth and whoever your care provider is that you um in the postpartum time you know do find a a venue to to tell the story of your birth and you know I'm sure that you guys have talked about this before you know write it down because you you think you'll never forget um but the details do fade quickly and those those stories are are important and um you know again whether it was hard or easy um all that is is part of the story um so I I always encourage people to do that as well I think um, it's it's important for us to be witnessed. Mm-hmm. And while hospital staff are wonderful people and may indeed be putting whatever attention they have available on witnessing what's going on, typically, let's face it, their job 
is to document it. And that's a little different than being present for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I certainly have had the experience of uh, working with hospital staff as a birth doula who clearly can hold both roles, Mm -hmm. even when Mm -hmm. that's true and they can do that, there are opportunities for coming back around and witnessing with their client after the birth are constrained. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, one they of the... may or may not have a shift <laughs> right. in the postpartum days, right, right. in the two days that you are at the hospital waiting to go home. They may or may not actually get an opportunity to see you again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that so then that opportunity is lost for the client, for the the mom mm-hmm. and partner um, too. So yeah, so my friend, my good friend Denise, who is a labor and delivery nurse and had her children at home, she was at both of my births, and she always says her favorite thing about a home birth is that you know she doesn't have to do any charting; she can just really be there um, with the mom. And and yeah, you know she she would love to be able to do that in the hospital, but but there are you know requirements, and and they're there for a reason too. But it but it does. Um, it does interfere with the way that nurses are often able to support a mom um, and a family in a birth. I just wanted to kind of comment on that a little bit and ask another question around it. So it sounds like, I mean, what you're describing is a lot of interesting options for people to consider. So any of our listeners who are expecting to have a baby or um, maybe you're thinking about having a baby or a second baby sometime in the future or a third or fourth or whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds like they have a lot of interesting options to consider. And I, I like hearing you highlighting some of the things that um, I know I personally didn't get exposed to as concepts when I was um, when I was preparing for my first birth. But, um, you know, I just have this one simple question. I don't know if it has a simple answer, but like, <laughs> why is it that healthcare professionals, are they themselves choosing home births? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit different for every person. Um, And of course, you know, not all health professionals are choosing home birth clearly, but I think for the ones that are, um, you know, what I heard um, from many of them is that they're really keenly aware of the risks that are inherent in birth. And they are not under any illusion that there is a way to eliminate risk just based on the setting. So there are risks to having a birth in the hospital. There are risks to having a birth at home. And, you know, they know what birth looks like. They've seen it in the hospital. They understand kind of the the constraints and the the environment that um, that a birth that births in the hospital kind of require currently, and and um, and they've chosen a different path for themselves. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of times I hear that it was really important that they kind of know who was going to be there and only have people that they want there. Um, 
Also, a lot of people talk about kind of the interruptions that happen in a hospital, you know, people coming in and out to check or empty the garbage or bring a tray or, you know, I mean, there's just like constant kind of in and out. And it's, it's hard to do the work of labor. Um, if you, if you don't feel safe and comfortable with your surroundings and you're constantly being disrupted. Um, I mean, it, it happens a lot. You'll hear labor and delivery nurses say, or even a lot of times moms, you know, will think I was, I was really in labor at home. I was having, you know, regular contractions. And then I went to the hospital and everything stopped, you know, because there's this, there's this response often that says, you know, wait, I'm, this isn't my space. I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, you know, it, I'm not sure that this is I'm not sure that this is safe. I'm not sure that that I can do this intimate thing. You know, maybe it's not I'm sure that it's not safe, but but it's a very intimate thing that you're going to do, you know, to to give birth um to to a child and um and there are just some some real challenges to to doing that in an institutional setting. It, that being said, for a lot of people they are more comfortable in the hospital and that is absolutely where they want to be. And they would not be comfortable at home. You know, they would think my, my home is going to get dirty or somebody's going to hear me, or I'm the kind of person that I just want everything to be there right there in case I need it. Um, you know, I would just feel terrible if something happened at home, you know, so I think that you have to be just really honest with yourself and think, okay, what, what risk again, am I willing to accept what are the things that I value and where can those things best happen for me? For some people, that's going to be at home. Some people that might be at a birth center and for some people that's going to be the hospital. And, and that's fine. Um, I, I think that we can all learn from each other and practitioners. You know, I, one of my goals is also that home birth and hospital providers just are able to work more closely together to collaborate together because really at the end of the day we all have the same goals you know we want healthy moms and babies with positive experiences that help them you know launch into um into motherhood and so how can we support all women and families in doing that um in the setting that's right for them yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What about possible benefits of home birth that may not be obvious? I mean, there's probably a cost aspect. Sure. They, just in terms of cost, you know, it's this interesting thing that we have in the United States that um, you have the cost to the individual and then the cost to the system and um, and they're two very different things. So while I believe it's something like it's only like three or four percent of births in the hospital um, are paid for by individuals out of pocket, it's closer to seventy percent of home births are paid for by the individual out of pocket um, because so few insurances cover it. Um, so even though it is less expensive, significantly less expensive to the system, if you're looking at it from a high level position, you know, it's 
depending on where you live, anywhere between four and $6,000 for a home birth. Um, that includes your prenatal care, your delivery, your postpartum care, and, you know, a regular vaginal birth in the hospital is going to be like fifteen dollars to $18,000. But most individuals aren't going to see that cost um, because their insurance is going to pick it up. Um, but if we were really, if we really had a healthcare system that was interested in reducing costs to the system across the board, then I think there would be a much bigger push to to include home birth as one of one of the options. Um, you know, systems, healthcare systems where they have like a national healthcare system, like England or um, parts of Canada, you know, in British Columbia. When you're pregnant and you go in for your first prenatal visit, you know, you'll see a midwife and the midwife will offer you, you know, do you want to have, these are kind of your options and this is what you'll get in each place. And you can have this baby in the hospital or a birth center or at home, you know, what, what does it look like, you know, you'd like to, to explore and what fits your risk profile and your, and your needs. And, and we just don't have a system anywhere close to that right now. But by the way, Bernie Sanders is introducing a single payer health care federal bill very right. soon. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. get behind this. It yeah, gives I mean, you in- more health care for no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that that until you know, and I'm I'm definitely not saying that like, you know, doctors are are trying to get rich by, you know, doing more C-sections or whatever. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in going, going that way. I don't not, don't want to blame physicians. Um, and at the same time, there, there isn't an incentive in our current system for low cost, high quality care. We're incentivized to do more and you're paid more for doing more. Hospitals are paid more for doing more, um, you know, in some cases, physicians are paid more for doing more, you know, when, when there's a, you know, normal vaginal birth, like you were there and supported, you know, our system doesn't recognize that as work or as valuable, right? As like, oh, no, you did the C-section or you the epidural or whatever, you know, like all of those things are additional interventions that incur more cost, I have to wonder, and this is again not a, a judgment call, but I, you'd you'd have to wonder like what would happen if if unnecessary, and I'm I'm calling it unnecessary. I don't think that there's this. It's not with a judgment, but I, if we talk about something like epidurals, right? Anesthesia for surgery. That would be necessary. Anesthesiology, anesthetic, sorry, to deliver your baby in your mind may feel pretty necessary, but how necessary is it? If we all had to pay for some of these choices that we're making um, in a direct fashion Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. a menu, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than paying high premiums. Sure that we never actually see back, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've definitely paid for that epidural a few times right. by the time we get right, it. Right. But people don't think in those terms, right? Yeah, right. 
um, unfortunately, what they think in terms of is I've already paid my Kaiser Anthem or whatever premium and having a home birth would be extra. Right, right. Yeah, because that's, um, that's how it is for most people right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they might not think paying an extra two bucks for snazzier coffee at the snazzier coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> you get my drift. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I think I, I just want to say on a helpful note, I think all of this is coming into the consciousness deeper or more broadly in our culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope that's the case. Sadly, the statistics are still pretty poor, even though we've had home birth, uh, legal midwifery care home birth in California since 1992. I guess we need a few more years before that's going (laughs) to take hold and we'll see better statistics. Mm -hmm. I mean, still across the country, you know, only I believe it's up to 29 states now that um, license um, certified professional midwives, you know, to do births at home. And so there are, you know, there are a lot of places where it's legal for you to have your baby you know, at home, if there's nobody with you, (laughs) but it's not, it's not okay for a midwife to attend that birth. So yeah, for a woman to practice healthcare, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a whole long, deep discussion that has has racist, racist, sexist undertones Mm -hmm. that um, Mm -hmm. maybe for another podcast. (laughs) Sounds good. So I'm just looking at the American Pregnancy Association's website, and they say, and I'm quoting, home birth provides immediate bonding and breastfeeding. Early breastfeeding helps the mother stop bleeding, clears mucus from the baby's nose and mouth, and transfers disease-fighting antibodies in the milk from mother to baby. And I think that's interesting that they list this as a under the bullet of home birth benefits. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I think that that it's that particular um, benefit is something that I think more and more hospitals are becoming aware of. And, you know, a lot of hospitals now are getting like a baby friendly designation that, um, you know, promotes immediate skin to skin and breastfeeding and, you know, they're not suctioning um, unless it's really necessary. And um, so I think a lot of the things that we have been doing at home for a long time and do promote bonding and work. I think actually some of those practices are transferring over to the hospital and we're have, have shown real benefit to those. Um, but, but clearly that's not the, the standard at, at every hospital. And it's really important if you're planning um, to give birth at the hospital that you know what their um, practices are around the immediate postpartum time. And, you know, not just, not just what your doctor tells you, but, but what actually happens. And, um, you know, I have a, I have a friend who says, you know, it works with an obstetrician and says, oh yeah, you know, she tells all of her patients that she really supports natural childbirth. But if you ask her how many, you know, out of the 10 last deliveries she had that were unmedicated, unmedicated natural, like 
it's not many, you know, so, so there's sometimes a difference between, um, you know, the story that's told and, and the numbers. And as much as you can, you know, get your hands on the numbers, there's a great website, um, that will give you your hospital's C-section rate. And that is a better predictor of whether or not you will have a C-section than, than almost anything else, just what hospital you go to. Because there are certain, you know, standards, protocols, procedures that are going to push um, a birth in one direction or another. Um, so I think it's really important to just have all of the information you can about wherever you're going to give birth. Well, I know what Esther's going to say, because we've just been talking about this in our birth intentions or birth plan document episode. <laughs> and But okay. before you dive in, Esther, can I just say, I completely agree. When I read that on the American Pregnancy Association site, I immediately thought, well, hmm, I don't necessarily equate that immediate bonding time as being something that's one or the other. Like, it's not mutually exclusive. Right. It's not just hospitals or, you know, it's not black and white. Well, um, what Sarah knows I was going to say is <laughs> that it's my experience as a birth and postpartum doula that there is one protocol that is taught in teaching hospitals, essentially, and that is learned by uh, obstetrical students and, and some nurse midwifery students, um, which is to... Uh, not only give prof, quote-unquote prophylactic Pitocin at the end of birth, which is mildly controversial in and uh, of itself, and that's called active management of third stage. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the practices of actually actively manipulating the mother's body, her uterus, pulling on the cord of the placenta to determine whether or not it's released yet. These are practices that so far as I know in the home birth setting would just be verboten. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Perhaps not the Pitocin if necessary. If sure, sure. Right. But this is not a protocol that everybody is subjected to no matter what their birth and immediate postpartum looks like. And I have to say that if there's one thing that I see um, disrupting in a potentially and actually traumatizing way again and again in otherwise healthy, normal vaginal deliveries. It's this practice of trying to get the placenta out mm -hmm. and, you know, it's in my mind bad enough if, you're one of the 85% of women in a hospital setting who does have an epidural and are unlikely to feel the deep pain of this procedure. It's still disruptive. <laughs> but if you're one of those people who's made it through their labor without an epidural and somebody without consulting you, without giving you any support or guidance or uh, eye contact or anything is um, as though you are numb from the rib cage down, um, manipulating your uterus. Uh, I, I just have a 
a strong difficulty with that. And I see it, I see it again and again, and I see it happening without any um, discussion with the mother, um, no eye contact made, no attempt to ease that. And most of the time in situations where it is clearly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just an attempt to speed up, sure, you know, the third stage and quote unquote, get it over with. <laughs> and the rationale mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so that mom and baby can bond. <laughs> In the meantime, mom can't breastfeed because she's having so much pain. <laughs> so I, it's a rant, I know, but I, no, I, yeah. if I could change anything, if uh-huh. I could change one thing. That would be the first thing I'd change. Right. It's totally possible to just nurse your baby while your placenta is still in and it's going to come out. (laughs) Not only that, it typically takes the uterus some amount of time to gather itself Mm -hmm. into a coordinated Mm -hmm. contraction that's going to do that in the meantime Mm -hmm. your cervix your your uterus can hang out there and be a placeholder so (laughs) the uterus really needs to gather itself you know your brain and body need to provide the time and space and hormones Mm -hmm. for that process to take place Mm -hmm. and most of the time for that right just being with your baby's wiggling all over you is good Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so yeah i'm on a campaign (laughs) (laughs) well um thanks so much jessica for oh thank you coming to be with us and talk about this Is, is there anything else that you would like to add um no i guess the just the, the kind of call to action that we have at the end of the film, I think, um, is something that I would encourage everyone to do, you know, when we think about where you're going to have your baby and, you know, um, it, three things kind of came to mind. We say just ask questions, listen, and tell your story. And that goes for moms and um, partners and that goes for, you know, people supporting families in birth that we, you know, really need to ask the questions and then, and listen to, you know, what, where other people are coming from and don't assume that your, um, you know, values are shared. Um, try to, try to, you know, check your biases and preconceived ideas and really listen and and then to to share your stories. So um, yeah, I I'm with Esther. I hope that right, I think about that for my daughter. I hope that in you know 30 years when she's having a baby, we are not still in the same place, and um, it's not still such a cultural taboo, and there aren't so many barriers to accessing the kind of care that that you want for your birth. Um, so I'm hopeful. I do see see signs of signs of change, and and I think that um, if you want to see that change happen, then um, there's there's a lot of advocacy to do. Um, so yeah, the storytelling is good for that too. Well, I would 
just really encourage all of our listeners, no matter what point you are on the parenting trajectory, (laughs) uh, to see the film. It's lovely, and I think you'll find a lot of food for thought. Um, And share it it with your friends and neighbors. So um, the film is going to be available on iTunes and Amazon starting uh, September 4th, 2017, Labor Day. So we're very excited about our (laughs) Labor Day launch. And um, yay, if you've seen the movie, please go ahead, go on iTunes or Amazon, wherever you get your movies and rate it. Give us a review. We do not have... um, you know, a splashy publicist or anything that's helping us with this launch. (laughs) This has been a really grassroots effort and um, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. Um, And we are also, if you're listening to this on Labor Day or before, then we are going to do a Facebook and or Instagram live uh, launch party on Labor Day. So do follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, so you know when that's happening. Um, We have a lot of great resources on the website also, whynothome.com, including a discussion guide. Um, It's also a great film to share with um, family members if you're, you know, thinking about a home birth or planning a home birth and you have uh, family members who aren't so sure, who are worried or whatever. Um, I also made it with family members in mind. So I think that there's there's something for everybody. Um, If you're a student, I think, you know, nursing students, midwifery students, medical students were also really trying to get it into more um, medical and nursing schools um, and high schools too, because I think that you really need to kind of think about these options and that birth doesn't just have to happen in one way. Um, as you know, when you're, when you're young, because often if you're, if you're not thinking about it until, if you don't even know that it's an option until you're pregnant, then it's kind of a long way to go from, yeah, everybody has their babies in a hospital. I'm going to have my baby in a hospital to, you know, maybe I'm going to do this at home in the course of just a few months. So I think that the more we can get this in front of young people with open minds who haven't, you know, developed so many preconceived ideas, um, the better. So here, here. <laughs> you may know that I was 18 years old when I had my daughter. Yeah. At home. <laughs> so thanks again, Jessica. I'm so thrilled to have had you uh, on our podcast. And I, I'm sure we will have links to all the things that you uh, have talked to us about today. And I would Again, encourage our listeners, no matter where they're coming from, uh, to give a give this film a go because I think it really speaks to an unspoken debate <laughs> that's going on in our country without the facts. So it would just be great if everybody could hear, learn about this. Thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, listeners, it was nice to be with you today. Uh, Again, please take a look at our website. We're on Facebook. And we have a newsletter you can sign up for. And we would just so appreciate any uh, Patreon subscriptions that we can get. So take care in the meantime and have a great Labor Day whenever you happen to have yours and take care. 
You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now.